Y'all, welcome to the Criminority Report. Welcome. The welcome. Criminority Report. The Criminority Report. I'm Lady Lily. And I am Millie Red. And, well, today we're going to talk about Seth Adieu and Eunice Ball. This is a really interesting case. So we're just going to get right to it. So Seth Adu was born on January 10th, 1969 in Kumasi, the capital of, of the Ashanti region, a very important and historical center for Ghana. So shout out to all the Capricorns out there. The youngest of six children, Seth was known to have a strong ambition to succeed. That's how us Capricorns do. Seth immigrated to the United States <laughs> when he was 23 to attend Montgomery College. He was pursuing a degree in information technology. As a college student, financially supporting himself was very difficult. So Seth began working at a grocery store to financially support himself in college. One day at work, Seth met 35-year-old Sheila Cully and his life would forever be changed. So you want to do all of this Capricorn thing? I sure do. I got big Capricorn energy right now. Mm, whatever. <laughs> Before we continue, let's talk about Sheila for a little bit. Yeah, sucka sucka now. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila Cully was known to be a religious successful business owner. She was active in her church served in the children's ministry, and was also believed to help raise her younger siblings. Sheila opened a home daycare, which became very successful. In fact, because her daycare was so well known, she had a waiting list for incoming kids. When Sheila met Seth, she was a regular customer at the grocery store where he worked. Small talk conversations led to flirtation and romantic Ooh. dates. Ooh, okay. And despite their 10-year age difference, the pair began dating exclusively. And three years later, in 1996, he put a ring on it. A ring on it. Okay, okay. So in 1997, Seth became a U.S. citizen. Because Sheila Ooh. had a successful business, she financially supported Seth while he continued to pursue his degree. He eventually graduated and started his own IT business, which became very profitable. In the mid-2000s, the couple purchased a million-dollar home in Oak Creek, a gated community in Prince George's County, Maryland. They also turned the basement into a separate apartment, and the first person they rented the apartment to was Sheila's brother, Samuel Cully Jr. I mean, would you want to live with your family member when you first get married? No, not even a little. I wouldn't mind. I mean, I'm close to my sister, so I don't think I would mind. I think I, I, I probably could. Um, you know, my brother is always like, you should come move to Kansas City. And this and that. <laughs> I'm just like, bro. My body won't let me be great in Kansas City. It's too cold up there. This is the thing, though. This was a million-dollar home. So I they didn't have kids, so I'm guessing they had enough space. That's true. I mean, 
Yeah. If if there's a million dollar home and it's large enough, I probably could live with my brother and my sister, honestly. I mean, I would not live in a million dollar home that was a one bedroom. That is ridiculous. That's New York City. That is ridiculous. That does not make any sense to me. That's a studio. <laughs> a million dollar studio. No. <laughs> Although the couple were successful professionals, sadly, after 13 years of marriage, they began to grow apart. Mm. In December 2007, the couple separated, but allegedly they were still on good terms. Sheila moved back to the house where she ran her daycare. Seth and Sheila filed for divorce, and according to the Snap episode, they signed a prenuptial agreement, which protected them from splitting assets. Would you agree to a prenup? Absolutely. I would definitely agree You're- to a prenup. In 2008, Seth met 35-year-old Eunice Ba at a Ghanaian community event. Eunice was described to be stunningly beautiful. Of course, you know, she's mm. African. Shoot. Yes. They have, like, some of the most smoothest skin I've ever seen. You know why, though, right? That shea butter. That shea butter. When I went over there, I got some of that shea butter. That was back in 2017. I still have, like, two tubs of it. Are you serious? Yeah, and people look at me, and they're like, what do you use on your skin? And I'm like, darling, I use that shea butter. I don't like how raw shea butter smells. It's not the most pleasant, but if you use it at night, Girl, have you looking young forever. Forever. That smells like you're going camping. It does. (laughs) It does. It's like, uh, have you been burning something? (laughs) Like I I love the properties. It is very moisturizing to the skin. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I'm showing you my skin as if if we're doing an infomercial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's very nourishing and moisturizing. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just don't like the smell. It's good stuff. But um, she grew up in Ghana and immigrated to the United States in 1996 to live out the American dream. Kind of like our last story. Yeah. So Eunice worked as a nurse and was well known and well liked in the Ghanaian community. So according to the episode, Seth was head over heels for Eunice And after a few months of dating, she moved in with him. Wow. After a few months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it happens. It It happens, though. That's true. So on January 10th, 2009, the couple hosted a party at their home and announced to their guests, guess what? That they were engaged and they were expecting a child. On January 14th, 2009, three days after the announcement, Seth's cousin called 911 outside Seth's home. He was requesting a wellness check because no one has heard from the couple in several days. Officers from the Prince George's County Police Department entered the home and found blood splatter on the floor and signs of a struggle. At the bottom of the basement stairs, officers found the unresponsive bodies of Seth Adu and Eunice Ba. Upon entry into the home, investigators noted there were no signs of forced entry. Autopsy reports found that Eunice died 
from a single gunshot wound to the head. She was approximately three months pregnant at the Mm -hmm. time of the murder. That's terrible. In addition, her Mercedes Benz was missing. Seth, on the other hand, was stabbed over 40 times. That's really excessive. Like, that yes. Means, that means that the this was like a crime of passion or it was personal. There was blood everywhere. Blood evidence hinted that there was a violent struggle during the attack. Investigators believe the stabbing started in the dining room because of the copious amount of blood in that area. Jeez. Yeah, there was a lot of blood. Like, we pulled this information from a snapped episode and they had pictures of the blood it was disgusting yeah there was a lot of blood everywhere evidence suggested seth fought his attacker while they stabbed him Mm. his wounds were defensive and brutal they were there were drag marks on the floor the stairs appeared to be smeared with blood as if a body was dragged down the stairs Mm. crime scene investigators sprayed luminol and found blood marks that were that have been cleaned off. They also found two distinct boot patterns. And even though I saw the episode, still hearing you describe it made my f- face just like flinch and just feel some time. Oh, gosh. I really can't imagine what was going on in his head when all of this is happening. Like he's trying to fight for his life. And somebody is going to town on him with a knife. Investigators interviewed Seth's cousin. I'm sorry, but it's really hard to say Seth's name. Yes. In this. Like, I'm really (laughs) having a hard time. I'm like, can we come up with another name for Seth? Because his name is... What is his last name? Adu. We should say Adu. I don't even want to say that because I don't know if I'm saying it right. Um, So I'm just going to... Adu. I'm I'm just gonna power through this and just Sethis- say Seth. Sethis- is just it's very difficult. So audience, we're just gonna apologize if it just sounds weird when we're pronouncing his name. So interviewer er, investigators interviewed Seth's cousin, David Sarpong, to gather information on any problems the couple were having and who would have motive to harm the couple. According to David, Seth's main problems were financial, specifically the mortgage on their million dollar home. I can understand that. Um, yeah. And that's a lot of money. So David informed investigators the mortgage problems began when Seth's ex-wife, Sheila, moved out. Although Seth ran a successful business and Eunice was a nurse, it was not enough to cover their monthly expenses. I can see that. I mean, mm-hmm. Sheila was the primary mm-hmm. breadwinner there. Yeah. I'm assuming her daycare business was extremely successful and prominent. The fact that she could put him through school. Absolutely. Investigators put out an APB on Eunice's car. They learned the vehicle was recovered 10 miles away a day before Eunice, Eunice and Seth's bodies were discovered. The car was parked on the street with her keys and purse in the vehicle. A good Samaritan reported it to the police. Like, that's kind of weird that her car was just out and her purse and keys were just out there. Yeah, this is us. 
It's sus. As you like to say it. Listen, that's a Gen Z thing. I was just trying to be like these Gen Zers. It's sus. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Anyway. As the investigation continued, investigators believe Seth was the primary target because of the nature of his injuries. As stated earlier, Seth was stabbed over 40 times. This hinted to investigators that Seth's murder was personal. Seth had several defensive wounds and fought back. Because of this, they were able to take DNA from underneath his fingernails. A few days later, investigators received a phone call from Seth's nephew, Daniel Poku. He reported that Seth had a fight with Samuel Cully. Y'all remember who that is? That's actually Sheila's brother that moved in with them when they first bought their home. Detectives learned that even though Sheila moved out, Cully remained in the basement apartment until Seth asked him to vacate, which led to the argument. That's freaking weird. Yeah. If I have a family member that's living with me and my spouse and our marriage dissolves and I move out, I'm expecting my family to move out too. Absolutely. And the same goes if... I am the family member that's moving in and my, you know, family member marries someone and then my yeah. family member moves out. I'm not going to stay there. That's weird. I wondered how Sheila felt about that. Like, you want you want your brother to move out? I wonder, was he was he paying them to stay there? I don't know. Because that sounds like bum behavior. <laughs> not bum. <laughs> Sorry, like not, that, that really sounds not, like... True bum, <laughs> bum behavior. Like a squatter. Like, yeah. Like, what are you doing, sir? So detectives went to Sheila's home to notify her of the murder of her husband and his fiance. Just reading that out loud sounds weird. Her husband and his fiance. It's a very messy situation. It's very messy. According to the Snap episode, Sheila didn't seem surprised or saddened by the news. Sheila informed investigators their divorce was going to be finalized soon. Investigators asked Sheila about her brother, Samuel. Well, Sheila confirmed her brother was living with Seth after she moved out. She also confirmed Samuel and Seth argued when Samuel was asked to move out. Sheila reported that Samuel had left town prior to the murders to visit friends and was currently in New Jersey. Now listen to this nonsense. <laughs> she also told detectives that he did not have his cell phone or any way to be contacted. Does that make any sense to you? It is so nonsensical. This was 2009 <laughs> not nonsensical yes nonsensical is that, is that even a word nonsensical it, it is a it is a milliredism <laughs> it is so nonsensical this is 2009 i remember walking around campus and people being glued to their phones yeah so there is no way that he would have visited his friends in a faraway place with no phone and no way to contact us. No way to yeah, contact him. Yeah, it makes him. no, it, it makes, makes no, no sense. sense. 
So how did he communicate with, he had to have communicated with his sister. Tele, telekinesis. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Moving right along. Mm-hmm. One thing investigators wanted to learn is how did the attackers access the home? The community they live in, it was gated and it was protected. So according to Snapped, to get into the Oak Creek community, you needed a transponder whose signal would open the front gates. When Seth and Sheila originally moved into that million dollar home, they were given three transponders, one for Seth's vehicle, one for Sheila's vehicle, and a third for like, I guess, emergencies. When this um, detective learned about the three transponders, they immediately called Sheila and asked her if she had the third one. She denied having it. I smell a liar. <laughs> I, smell I smell a liar too. <laughs> I smell it. And it's potent. Not potent. It's odoricious. <laughs> <laughs> It's odorous. Is this another milliretinism? Yes, it is. It's milliretinism. <laughs> Investigators also reviewed transponder records and vi- and watched video surveillance. They discovered the third transponder was used at 6 p.m. on the night of January 12, 2009. That is two days before the bodies were discovered. Investigators also saw a a dark minivan driving quickly through the gate. The license plate for that vehicle was hidden, so investigators were unable to identify who that vehicle was registered to. Almost two hours later, video surveillance captured Eunice Carr pulling up into the community. Investigators believe she was the first one to arrive home. At 8.29 p.m., Seth's car pulls into the neighborhood. A few hours later, video surveillance captured that black minivan leaving. It also captured Eunice's car leaving the neighborhood. At that point, detective believe Seth and Eunice were already murdered. It makes a little bit of more sense to me because they had to have waited for them to come home. Right. Because they saw a black minivan come in and a few hours later they saw the van come out and Eunice's car come out. Right. And that also confirmed to investigators that Seth was the intended victim. Because of the video surveillance, investigators now believe Seth and Eunice died on January 12th, 2009 and that Seth was the primary target. Records also showed the third transponder was used a second time on January 1st, 2009. On that date, the plates were not obscured. Detectives were able to identify who the car was registered to. It belonged to a guy named Delford Barnes. When they looked up his last known address, they learned he was, leave- he was living with Sheila. Of course. Oh, Sheila. That was her boyfriend. (laughs) 
the plot thickens the plot thickens it's gonna get a little bit weird here are y'all ready for this it's gonna get a little bit weird here so on february 18th 2009 detectives returned to lisa's home with a search warrant to search the residence in delford's car sheila informed investigators that delford was her boyfriend for a few months she denied that delford was involved in the murders Investigators searched her home but did not find the transponder. However, they found a pair of lug sole boots that could match the footprint found on the scene. They also found a receipt for a storage unit in Delford's name. So when they checked the storage unit, the detectives found a large black pillar candle with messages and curses carved into its side. What is up with curses? <laughs> I, I don't know. It read, die, 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 die. Really? Seth, I do. It read, die, five <laughs> times. This is crazy. Because Delford is from Jamaica, investigators believe the candle may be associated with the practice of voodoo. They attempted to question Delford, but didn't have enough evidence to charge him. Just because he's from Jamaica doesn't mean that he does voodoo. It's that cultural competency. Like, they don't have it. That sounded really ignorant. It did. I mean, voodoo is not just all about curses. It's an actual religion. I mean, I'm not going to go into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's just... People should look more into it. I think it. that... Right. I think people should research it first before making assumptions. Correct. Investigators question Sheila's employees. The employees reported that Sheila could not have murdered Seth and Eunice because she was at home with them. Do you remember when Sheila told detectives her brother didn't have a cell phone Mm -hmm. and she had no way of uh, contacting or communicating with him? Yeah, I remember that. Welp, the employees provided the investigators the contact number for Samuel. Apparently, he recently got a new number and spoke to them recently. In addition, detectives learned that Seth had a substantial life insurance policy. If Sheila and Seth divorced before Seth died, then Sheila would not be the beneficiary. Ooh. After finding out about Seth's murder, Sheila put a she put in a claim for the insurance policy. Well, after obtaining his cell phone number, investigators found Samuel Cully in New Jersey. On March 10th, 2009, he was taken into custody. Well, baby boy started singing the blues. <laughs> he did. He started singing. Samuel claimed it all started when Delford Barnes asked him to go with him to run an errand. The errand was to go to Seth's home to pick up Sheila's mail. Samuel informed investigators that Delford had the transponder to get through security gates and the garage door opener to get inside the home. Why would they need to get inside the home? What is this errand that he needed Samuel to go with him right for it? Like, he needed an extra person. Right. So while they were inside, Eunice comes home, which surprises them. She -hmm. started yelling at them, which set Delford off. Samuel reported that Delford had a gun. 
Eunice was at the top of the stairs of the basement and Delford shot Eunice in the back of the head and she fell down the basement stairs. On the actual interview um, video, Samuel told investigators, and I quote, this is, this is so ridiculous. Like he sounded so ridiculous saying this. I quote, I said, oh my God. As I looked down the steps, she was rolling down the steps. It doesn't sound like to me that Samuel was running an errand. Mm -mm. It sounded like to me they were planning this. It does. It sounds like they didn't mean to kill her. She just happened was to collateral. be there. Yeah, she was collateral. And it's just terrible because she was pregnant. Samuel claimed that Delford advised him that they would wait for Seth to return home to kill him. Samuel said when Seth arrived home... He went off. And in my mind, I'm like, naturally, there are strangers in his home. Right. And then something happened to his fiance. Right. So I would be going off too. Samuel reported that he and Delford stabbed Seth repeatedly mm. and then dragged his lifeless body down the stairs next to Eunice. Oh my gosh. Samuel denied Sheila's involvement. However, he reported when Delford returned home, Delford gave the transponder and the garage door opener back to Sheila. After Samuel's confession, Samuel was charged with first degree murder. The next day, Delford Barnes was arrested and charged with first degree murder. Delford refused to speak to investigators. Although Delford didn't want to talk to authorities, his boots were a match to the footprints and his DNA matched the DNA found underneath Seth's fingernails. Oh, gosh. Thank God he was fighting for his life. It's sad that, you know, dead men and dead women talk, yeah. essentially, you know. In March 2009, Samuel Cully pleads guilty to first-degree murder and agreed to testify against Delford. He was sentenced to life in prison. In August 2010, Delford Barnes went to, pr went to trial. The trial lasted two weeks and he was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Although both men were in prison, authorities believed that Sheila was the mastermind. While building a case against Sheila, they learned their divorce was not amicable. They believed jealousy and being removed from the life insurance policy was a strong motive. On January 10th, 2012, Sheila was charged on two counts of conspiracy to commit murder. While getting ready for trial, investigators had the handwriting exemplar done to determine who carved those messages into the candle. They had it done twice, once with Delford and once with Sheila. The examiner determined it was her handwriting on that candle. The prosecution suspected that Sheila tried to curse Seth, and when that failed, she solicited the help of Delford and Samuel, even though that was never proven. On June 1, 2012, Sheila entered an Alford plea for two counts of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Now, for those of you who don't know what an Alford plea is, our interpretation of that is when a defendant pleads guilty but is unwilling to admit guilt 
So the terms of her plea deal specified she served no less than 10 years in prison and no more than 20. Sheila was actually released from custody in 2021. I couldn't find anything um, about what Sheila is doing now, if she still have her her business or if she even opened up another business. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking she's probably off the grid. Mm hmm. Or maybe changed her name. Yeah, that's true. Well, that concludes the case about Seth Adu and Eunice Ball. Yeah. So what are we going to be covering next week, Millie? Okay, well, check this out. How do you feel about 90s R&B male groups? Mm, nostalgia right me too i love them yes. best time for r&b you know i'm a 90s girl exactly i'm a 90s kid 80s baby 90s kid so yes. what if i told you that a member of a popular group is in prison for murder as long it's not a member from boys to men i'm good okay or 112 okay it's not. Or Jagged Edge. It will. Shoot. You have to stay tuned. Stay <laughs> tuned. You know what my friends told me? My friends told me, tell me you're an 80s baby without tell me, telling me you're an 80s baby. And it said, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. Apparently that's not that's like an, an 80s thing, I guess. Well, then what is a today's thing? Subscribe. Um, oh, please. Like, subscribe. That's apparently like not an 80s thing. It's like a Gen Z or something. Whatever. Well, in the 80s, we're not telling people to subscribe to, you know, my telephone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did not have YouTube. We did not have the social media back then so yes. who would we subscribe to a magazine i mean oh my gosh news? yes wait, wait wait magazine did you get those um what the heck were those magazines um the, the clearing house no i wasn't gonna say that they were oh they were the kid magazines but like i i, I can already answer that for you no you don't even know what i'm talking no. about I don't, but I know the parents that I had. No. As long as if those magazines were like Bible magazines, like Bible Today and Bible Future. Highlights. I told you I'm going to answer that for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, doesn't matter the name. I no. Highlights, it was awesome. highlights Well, um, to our audience, you know what I'm saying? You can check us out on Instagram. The yeah. Criminori Report Podcast. You can check out our website, www.thecriminorityreportpodcast.com. You can also email us at criminorityreportpodcast at gmail.com. If you, um, you know, want to talk about, if you want us to talk about any stories that you've heard. Um, yeah. Where can they listen to our episodes at, Lily? Well, you can rate review and subscribe to um, our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, until next time, y'all. Well, until next week. Until next week. 
Bye. Bye.